and the disciples went from village to village to preach and to demonstrate the kingdom of God, Mary Magdalene went with them. We also read from Luke chapter 8 that Mary financially supported the ministry of Jesus. She stayed with him throughout the crucifixion. She appears in all four gospel accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we look at John 20, I want to make three observations about Mary. About her heart, about her mind, and about her will. First of all, her heart. Notice the devotion that Mary had. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. While the disciples were still sleeping... Mary Magdalene was not only awake, but she was on a mission. And she went to the tomb with oil and spices to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. After the disciples found the tomb empty, they went back home. But Mary, she stayed behind. She was the first at the tomb and she was the last at the tomb. That was her devotion. She stood by Jesus through the most difficult of times. And her devotion persisted not only in his death, but then after his death. She went to find the body of Jesus in the tomb, but there was no body. But such was her devotion to Jesus, she stayed at the tomb. When confusion reigned, When her hope disappeared, when she looked into the darkness and the emptiness of that tomb, when things didn't make sense, she devoted herself to the one that loved her unconditionally and to the one that freed her. And that's the kind of devotion that Jesus is looking for this Easter. That when you look into the darkness and the emptiness of a situation that you're in, when your situation is filled with despair and hopelessness, when confusion reigns, when prayers seem to go unanswered, when things don't make sense, that's the time to be devoted wholeheartedly to the one who's loved you unconditionally, to the one who has saved you, who's redeemed you, and who has set you free. The devotion of Mary. Secondly, I want you to notice the emotions of Mary. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, She bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. 
They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she says, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. So the disciples have gone back home, but Mary stays at the tomb. And she's there in her brokenness, in her grief, in her loss, and she weeps. The last time Mary wept like this, you will find it in Luke chapter 7. And she anoints the feet of Jesus with precious oil. And then she anoints the feet of Jesus with her tears. And there were tears of repentance. And this is what Jesus said of Mary. He looked at the other disciples and he looked at Mary. And he said this, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And she's weeping and she's mourning because the one that she loved has been taken. And in her grief, she looks into the empty tomb. And the body of Jesus is no longer there. The last time she saw the body of Jesus, it was between two thieves on the cross. But now she looks into the tomb, and instead of two thieves, there are two angels. One where his head had been, and one where his feet had been. And she looks at these angels. One at the head, And one at the feet. And they asked her, why are you crying? And she replies, because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they put him. And as she stands and and looks into the empty tomb. She feels a presence behind her. And she turns around and and she thinks it's a gardener. And it's Jesus. and, and, And he asked her two questions. He said, why are you crying? And who are you looking for? Now, I want you to know this. It is often when we express our deepest pain and our deepest emotion that we truly encounter Jesus. And so often we find life in the midst of death because of the presence of Jesus. As most of you know, I'm from a large family. I'm the youngest of 10. And so I have many nieces and nephews, actually too many to count. And I have not seen or heard from some of my nieces and nephews for 20, 25, 30, 35 years. But this week, I got a message on Facebook from one of my nephews. And he said, Uncle Paul, could you possibly phone me for five minutes just five minutes and so I said to Liz I received this message I said I'm just going to go and phone and I phoned my nephew and I said how are you doing he goes I'm not doing well Uncle Paul I says what's happened he says my grandson died five months ago he said and my life and my world has just fallen apart Uncle Paul, I remember when your daughter died. And I remember how God helped you. 
do you think that God could help me the same way? I said, I'm sure he can. And I'm sure he will. So I wrote my letter and I text him every morning and, and every evening. And this morning, he was the first one I text. And I said to him, on this Easter day, I'm praying with all my heart that you will encounter Jesus in such a way that Mary did. And I'm praying that you will receive his peace that passes all understanding, that will heal your heart and your mind from this terrible tragedy. <laughs> Bereavement can devastate a life, can devastate a family. And Mary standing there in all her grief. And when things seem to be going horribly wrong, Mary had to understand this lesson. That Jesus was nearer than she knew. He was right behind her. And I care not of your situation today. I care not how difficult, how bleak, how despondent you might feel as you look into the empty tomb. I just want you to know that Jesus is nearer than you think. He is beside you. He's in front of you. He is behind you. Thirdly, notice the submission of Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and she tried, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboniai. Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to the brothers and tell them that I am ascending to Father, my Father, to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she told them. And that he had said all these things to her. Jesus utters this one word that radically changed her situation. That radically transformed her life. That radically opened her eyes. Mary. And as she heard his voice, she knew that everything would be good. And she falls at the fear of Jesus to hold him. And Jesus gives a gentle rebuke. He says to her, Mary, don't hold me. Because I've not ascended to my Father in heaven. And to your Father and to my God and to your God. But go back and tell the brothers. Tell the brothers, I am alive. You know, sometimes we sing a chorus that says this. Just one touch from the king can change everything. I say to you this morning, just one word from the king. Just your name, Mary, can change everything. Now, what do all these people have in common with Mary Magdalene? Thank you, Jenny. Well, let me tell you, they were the first to do and achieve something. First man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. First man to break the four-minute mile, Roger Bannister. First woman to become prime minister in the UK, Margaret Thatcher. The first man to climb Ben Nevis, Archibald Robertson. That's a good Scottish name, isn't it? Archibald. Mary was the first one to go to the tomb. 
She was the first one to see Jesus. She was the first one to respond to him. She was the first one to tell the good news that Jesus was, this, was alive. And Mary's life was never the same. Reality is this, that when we encounter God, when we encounter Jesus like Mary did, our lives will never be the same again. And we will be transformed by the Spirit of God working in us and through us. Second encounter in John's Gospel 20 is with the disciples. Now before the crucifixion, uh, these men who were fishermen, unschooled, many of them, untrained, they were actually bold and fearless when they were with Jesus. But now they're filled with disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment. There's no telling what's running through their minds. They're in this upper room together and Peter is there. Peter, the one who denied Jesus. There's Andrew and there's James, there's Matthew, who all abandoned Jesus. There's John, the beloved. He's in a heap in the corner because Jesus has not only died, but now his body has gone missing. And in the midst of all these mixed emotions and confusion, Jesus shows up. And there's several reasons why he appeared to them on that day. For the sake of time, let me mention three. First of all, he came to bring them peace. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. They were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that what they did to Jesus, they would come and do to them. They were terrified. And so they were hiding from the Jews. But this scripture tells us that they couldn't hide from Jesus. Jesus knew exactly where to find them. And he knew what they needed. And so as he stands before them, he speaks to their troubled heart. He speaks to their fear. And he says to them, peace be with you. I'm not sure what my response would have been on that occasion. I guess my response would have been something like, where were you guys when I needed you? I remember the day that you stood before me and, and you said to me, we're willing to even lay down our lives for you. Where were you when I needed you? No. No judgment. No rebuke. No condemnation. Extravagant love, outrageous grace and unconditional forgiveness. He steps into their world. He steps into their space. And he says, peace be with you. And everything changes. And the truth this morning is that you can't hide from God. Like Adam and Eve. 
And you can't hide from God like the disciples. He knows where you are and he knows the fear which is in your heart and what has caused that fear. And he knows the disappointment and the disillusionments and the discouragements that you've endured. He knows that you've tried to lock it away and keep it a secret behind closed doors. But he also knows what's best for you. And so he comes at this Easter morning and And he steps into your world. He steps into your space. He steps into your upper room. He steps into your boat. And he says, peace be with you. Please, don't miss this divine exchange that's happening in these moments. Peace for turmoil. Peace for fear. Peace for guilt. Peace for hopelessness. He came then. And he comes today. And he steps into our space. And he declares, peace be with you. Secondly, he came to bring proof. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Mary had said to them, I've seen the Lord. And they said, prove it. Prove it, Mary. And so Jesus stands before them. And he showed them his hands and his side. Now, I think this is one of the most underestimated verses in the whole of the Bible. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw that it was the Lord. I bet they were. (laughs) This was no dream. This was no ghost. This was not a figment of their imagination. They didn't have too much cheese the night before they went to bed. This was the real deal. Jesus was alive. And Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. The two saw them on the road to Emmaus. Philip saw him as as he took his last breath and looked up into heaven. He saw the Son of Man standing in heaven. Jesus was, and he is, praise God, very much alive. And... And what makes him different from all the rest? What makes him so unique as a spiritual leader is that very fact. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. But Jesus is very much alive. And there is 2.2 billion Christians, 2.2 billion Christians in the world today who are living proof of that resurrection. Thirdly, I want you to notice he came to bring purpose. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I find this verse both astonishing and encouraging. 
Jesus looks at them and he says to them, you have a purpose, you have a destiny, you have a mission. And as the Father has sent me to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, so I am sending you. Do you notice there's no question about them proving themselves? If it was me, I'd be thinking, you didn't do a very good job the last time. Let's see how things go this time. Yeah. There's no test and exam that they need to pass. Just affirmation and encouragement. You see, as far as Jesus is concerned, failure, which we all experience, failure is never final with him. His heart is always to restore and revive and release. So he gives them the commission, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he gives them the power to do what he's asking them to do. The Bible said he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 2 verse 7, we read that the breath of God brought life into Adam. The Ruach of God. The Spirit of God, the, the life of God brought Adam to life. And Jesus does the exact same thing here. He breathes on them the Ruach of God, which brings the power, the passion, the purpose, and the destiny of God back into their lives. The same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead is now living within them. And then there is an explosion of the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stood up and preached his first sermon. And there was an explosion of the kingdom of God when 3,000 people entered the kingdom of God because Peter preached in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He received power. The Ruach of God, the dynamite of God, the power of God in earthly vessels. That's why Paul wrote to the early church in Corinth and he says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about him working in us and through us by his spirit. And this Easter Sunday, he, he wants to breathe life, purpose, and destiny back into these vessels that belong to him. The Ruach of God wants to ignite the fire back into our dreams, back into our prophecies, back into our passion and gifting. That which is dead and lifeless can be resurrected this day by the Ruach and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead, longs to fill every vessel that belongs to him and equip us to go to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God.
Now stay with me. Finally, we have Thomas who encountered the living Jesus. I want you to notice very briefly three things about Thomas. First of all, I want you to notice his doubt. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Hey, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The disciples told him, Thomas, you missed the moment when you went for the bread and the milk. That was just not the time to do the shopping because we've seen the Lord. And Thomas's response is very clear and direct. He says, I'm having none of it. None of it. Jesus was dead and as far as I'm concerned, he's still dead. Thomas wanted proof that Jesus was alive and he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hand and unless I actually touch them, And unless I put my hand in the wound in his side, I will not believe. I don't want a lookalike. I don't want an imposter. I want the real deal. Nothing else would do for Thomas. He says, without the evidence, I will not believe. Now, I want to encourage you not to be too harsh with Thomas this morning. Because in actual fact, Thomas was asked to do something that all the other disciples weren't asked to do. Thomas was asked to believe without seeing. And we often think of faith and doubt as opposites. But that's not really true. I actually think faith and apathy are more opposites than faith and doubt. Doubt is often a key part of our journey of faith. Doubt is a stop on the way that most of us make more than once if we were truthful. I read a story recently about this young girl who was 30. And she was waiting before God and she had this incredible experience of the Spirit of God. It was an epiphany. And God arrested her heart. And God said to her, this is what I want you to do. And it was scary. And it was costly. But she decided because of the reality of her experience of God that she would dedicate the rest of her life doing what God has asked her to do. And so for 50 years, she did amazing things for God. But inside her heart, she had many things that she wrestled with. She had doubts and she had fears. She had what some Christians call the dark night of the soul when she even questioned her salvation. Now, if she was around the disciples at this time, they might have called her Doubting Teresa. But we know her as Mother Teresa. 
And I want to say to you this morning, you should never be afraid, you should never be afraid of doubts in the journey of your faith. Because it's often those doubts that, you, that will bring you to your knees to seek God for an answer. Doubt can be the thing that propels us to faith. It can shake us up. It can start our journey. It can be a sign, not of the absence of God, but a sign that God is doing a work within us and through us, a sign that God is doing something new. It can be a catalyst to our growth and our spiritual development. The Alpha course that we run here on a regular basis has been a tremendous success over the world because it gives people an opportunity to come and openly confess their doubts and their fears about God and about Christianity, about life and religion. And it's in that safe place that they often come to a revelation of the identity of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Liz and I watched a really interesting program over the last three weeks. It ended on Friday evening with an audience with the Pope, which was just an amazing experience. And eight of these celebs from all walks of life did a pilgrim, a walk to Rome. 2,000 kilometers they walked. And they were atheists, agnostics, there was a Jew, there was a Hindu. They were from all walks of life. And throughout the program, they exposed themselves to each other and to God. And they talked about the doubt and the fears. And, and they talked about the emptiness that they felt with regards to this life and in the life to come. One of them was a homosexual. And uh, he's standing there in the presence of the Pope. And he says this to the Pope. He says, I know who I am. And I love who I am. But your church doesn't love me. And the Pope responded like this. He said, God loves you. God made you. And I love you whatever your sexuality might be. And he went over and he took this man in his arms and he just wept on the shoulder of the Pope. Just absolutely wept. His doubt was, would he be accepted and loved by the church and by God? We need to give people an opportunity to express their doubt without judgment and condemnation. Secondly, notice Thomas's surprise. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Just stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. The Sunday after Easter Sunday is the day that Thomas would never forget. Jesus comes before the disciples, and this time 
promise is there. And I want you to notice the grace and the compassion and the kindness of Jesus. He didn't zap Thomas for his unbelief. No, the first thing he does is he declares his peace to the disciples and to Thomas. Peace be with you. And then he speaks to Thomas. Another gentle rebuke. Thomas, see my hands and feel my side. Stop doubting now. You have seen the evidence. Just believe. And it seems to me, as you look at church history, the strongest doubters often became the strongest believers. And Jesus wants to step into our world today and he wants to surprise us. He wants to come into our space and he wants to say, stop doubting but believe. Don't look at the wind and the waves. Don't listen to the lies, but just believe. Finally, notice his confession. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen that you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. Thomas's confession was up close and personal. He said, you are my Lord and you're my God. And this statement of faith changes everything for Thomas. But Jesus says an interesting thing to Thomas. He says, you know, Thomas, you believe because you have never seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. Now I want you to know this morning that the faith that we have within us as Christians and here at King's, it's not a blind faith. It is not a faith without evidence. We don't get to physically see Jesus. We don't get to physically touch the wounds of Jesus like Thomas. But we have the eyewitness testimonies of those who did. And that's why John goes on to say in verse 30, 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing in him and his resurrection, you may have life in all its fullness. You see, here's the deal. There are those who see the evidence and they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And there's those who hear the evidence, who read the evidence, and they believe the same. But make no mistake, both rest on a firm foundation of evidence. John says, he did many other miracles that were never recorded in this book. And these miracles, including the resurrection, including the res resurrection, are written in order that we might believe and have the fullness of life. Blessed are those who have never seen 
and who yet believe. And you, if you've never examined the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, if you've never had a, a personal encounter with Jesus, if you've never come to faith in him, this morning, uh, just as a small gift, I, I'd love you to receive one of these Easter booklets. It's called Easter Sunrise. They're in the cafe area, they're on reception, they're here at the front. It's a little book by J. John which talks about the resurrection of Jesus and how we can encounter him today and how our lives can be transformed. And, and my prayer and our prayer is, as you read this book, that though you do not see him, you will believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And like Thomas, you will declare, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. Reality is this. I'm going to ask Phil and the band to join me. The reality is this that great things happen when people meet with Jesus. Great things happen when we encounter Jesus. Would you please stand as we bring this special service to a close? Let's be open to be receptive to what God has spoken to our hearts and to our minds today. So, as, as Paul was speaking this morning, I felt there were groups of people here that need to make responses to what's been spoken. And one of the things I believe God wants us to do, if you do know Jesus is to be more devoted to him. And one of the ways we can outwardly show that to Jesus is to put our hand in our heart and to say, Jesus, this morning, I want to be like Mary. I want to come to your beautiful feet and I want to be more devoted to you. No matter what I've been through, no matter what, what lies ahead of me, I want you to take this heart, Jesus, and I want to be more devoted to you. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to lay down our life.